Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hi everyone and welcome to On The House, the Household Management Science Insights Podcast, produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with expert knowledge from professionals in the field. I'm your host, Gabriella Yastra, coming to you from NAM, Melbourne, Australia. Let's get started. Hi everyone and welcome to On The House, the Household Management Science Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Gabriella Yastra, coming to you from NAM, Melbourne, Australia. Today I'm joined by Joyce McGarry, a food safety educator who has recently retired from Michigan State University. And today we're going to talk about food preservation. Hi Joyce, thanks for joining the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, so do you want to start off by um, introducing yourself a bit? Sure, I would um, just really a pleasure to be here with you. Um, as you said, I am a food safety educator from Michigan State University Extension. I had worked for 23 years in the area of nutrition and food safety. Also emergency preparedness when it came to food as well. So those were my passions and it led from nutrition and healthy eating into safe eating. It's really been quite a good process between nutrition, healthy eating, and keeping your food safe. So throughout these 23 years, I have educated many consumers on how to keep your food safe, uh, especially during emergencies, if your power should go out. So many foods become unsafe quite quickly. So we have to educate on what foods are safe to eat after an emergency or disaster may have happened. And then we've done a lot of fact sheets that Michigan State University Extension has published um, on different types of food safety and now food preservation, a very important topic as it goes very well with safe food because you have to understand how to preserve food safely at home for your family and your friends. So I'm thrilled to be here to talk about the safe methods of home preserving. I'm really excited about this topic because um, I, I don't know, I love, I love cooking and I love um, not making myself sick, <laughs> I yes. guess. Um, but yeah. also like preserving food is such an interesting topic because um, it's about, I guess, managing food waste. Uh, but before we get into that too much, um, we're going to do a section called Have You Met Joyce? And it's where we get to know you a little <laughs> bit better. Um, so we'll start off with uh, what's your favorite book? Anything written by Nicholas Sparks is my mm -hmm. favorite. He is my favorite author. The last book I believe I read of his was called The Wish. So he just really, um, I enjoy his, his way, way of writing and of course the characters and, and he has so many great books out there and I look forward to every one of them that come out new. That's great. Um, I think it's so nice when there's um, like a large body of work so you don't have to, you know, just content yourself with one or two books from the one author. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. And he is, he is um, one of my favorites. Mm. Um, have you seen any movies recently? Elvis. 
was my favorite movie ever. I loved it. I've been a fan of Elvis for years and years and years. So I was excited when that movie came out. And so that was the last movie I've seen, actually. And I really enjoyed that. How, so if you're, you said you're a fan of Elvis, how did it, how did the movie compare to, I guess, what you're expecting and what you know of his life? Oh, the many books I have read about him, I thought it was very accurate. You know, there's just so much to tell about him. And I thought the movie was very accurate and very well done. That's great to know, because I, um, I watched the movie as well, but I don't really know anything about Elvis, except I think probably the standard things that everyone knows. Mm-hmm. So um, I didn't know how much was fiction and how much they made up or how much was actually real. So that's great to know. Thank you. Yes, I thought it was pretty accurate. Hmm. Um, are you listening to any podcasts at the moment? No, I'm not. I have, um, since retirement in January, I have been so busy um, doing a lot of ServeSafe Um my um, last my class I took this summer um, was a recertification uh, here mm-hmm. in the United States. Managers of restaurants are required to take serve safe training. And so now I, I am continued being an instructor and proctor for the serve safe program. So that has kept me very busy um, to help recertify and certify new managers in, in food safety. Uh, so what's serve safe? ServeSafe is a curriculum uh, based on food safety practices in restaurants. So in the United States, all the states here require managers to have this certification. And it's basically um, a test of knowledge on Mm -hmm. temperatures, food preparation, uh, personal hygiene, all of the things that are incorporated into keeping food safe. Hmm. And is that, I guess, the course you've done the most recently? Yes. Yes, it is. Um, Yep. And that is not an easy test to take. It's not an easy course, but it is a good course. Um, And I'm I'm very glad that they require that of our restaurants. Yeah, I think we do have something like that that here as well. So it's really good to know that the people cooking our food know what they're doing. Yes, it is. And there are many curriculums out there similar to Serve Safe. Mm. It's just that's just one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a role model that you look up to? Hmm. That one I had to think about a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I probably would say my parents. Um, my dad worked for the university. Um, mm-hmm. He was uh, faculty, um, taught, uh, he was a forester. So he um, taught a lot of natural resource education. My mother was a stay-at-home mom, but um, always busy and and always active. And when we talked about home management, she just understood how to keep a home running smoothly. And I Mm -hmm. have taken her example and her role model into my own home with my three children and even now with my grandchildren to helping um, them understand the importance of managing their life and their home um, as well. So I would say both my parents were great role models. So what is home management for you? For me, and, and I've, you know, worked with many families in many different situations, and it is a very personal method of maintaining your home when it comes to finances, chores, um, anything that, 
keeps the day-to-day activities organized and running smoothly. So there is no one home management plan that works for everyone. And you know, as we have the different types of family makeups with individuals and single parents now, all types of home management skills are needed to keep these Mm -hmm. chores and maintenance and finances and shopping and cleaning all working together. So to me, it's an individual plan, one that works um, for each person differently because their environment, their family systems are all different. So I can't really say that there's one method that works. It's just whatever you can plan and organize that runs smoothly. Are there any misconceptions about household management? I think some people think their way is the only way. Um, you know, or it's only up to the mother or the wife or the woman to run the household. And and that is definitely a misconception because we have many single parents um, that are men. We have many um, different makeup of families that they all share the responsibilities. It's not just up to one person in that household. Um, I think that's one of them. Another one is that every plan is different. And you cannot judge somebody's plan against your own because they're all going to work differently. And um, it's the important thing is that they're successful. Mm -hmm. I guess if it's running, um, why would you try and do something different if it's working already? That's Mm -hmm. the important thing. And that's why some people feel like they have to maybe impose their own ideas into other people's plans and, that doesn't always work. Mm. Um, so we've talked about it a little bit before, but um, what is food preservation? <laughs> well, that's a that's a wide wide definition mm. of food preservation. But from my perspective, it is methods of keeping food safe from microorganisms, bacterias, yeasts. Um, any type of spoilage, and there's many different ways to do that, and we can discuss that later um, Mm -hmm. on the different ways of preserving food, but that is the main core of food preservation is keeping that food safe over a period of time. Mm -hmm. And might be a silly question, but why is it important? What will happen if you don't, you know, preserve your food or keep your food safe? Well, as you mentioned, you don't want to get people sick. So the biggest thing is foodborne illness. Mm -hmm. And many people don't realize that they have gotten sick from food they've eaten. Many people think it's the flu because the symptoms are very similar. Diarrhea, Mm -hmm. cramps, fever, um, vomiting, all of these are similar to a virus. So it is hard to tell if you've gotten sick from food you've eaten or from another source. The definition of foodborne illness is simply two or more people eating the same food. So it doesn't take many people to talk about having an outbreak of foodborne illness, but that is what happens if food is not stored and prepared safely. And we all love to eat out, we love to cook at home, Many of our foodborne illnesses come right from our own kitchens. 
because we're not washing our hands properly. We're not cleaning our utensils, sanitizing our, our cutting boards and our countertops. Um, we're not storing our food at the right temperatures. Um, there's so many variables when it comes to food. And that's why it's just something that has been ingrained in me since I started um, teaching food safety is just the myths that are behind uh, keeping food safe. How many people leave meat out on the counter to thaw? How many people leave eggs on the counter? Um, things like that, that, you know, they really do need refrigeration. That is what keeps them safe. So we try very hard to help people understand what happens if you don't do that. So what are some myths that you often have to debunk for people? You've mentioned hmm. sort of meat on defrosting meat. So what's the best way to defrost meat, I guess? In the refrigerator or in mm -hmm. a microwave, or you can cook it from the frozen state. You know, can you don't have to defrost it. Yep, it just takes longer. But I, I think one of that. the biggest, yes, one of the biggest myths is people say, I've done it for 50 years and I'm still not sick. Well, you've been lucky. You know, you've been lucky. Uh, that's all we can tell people. Um, a lot of people, you know, right now, if you notice in the restaurants, at least here in the United States, if you order eggs that are not well cooked or hamburger that is not thoroughly cooked, it says on the bottom of the menu, not responsible. We will not be responsible for undercooked foods because of the high potential of having bacteria or microorganisms into that cook into the food that's not cooked properly. So many of the myths just are coming from people who have that habit. They grew up with keeping meat on the counter. They grew up with maybe not washing their cutting boards and not washing their hands between cracking eggs and handling meat. Um, so it's, it's an awareness that I think we need to bring out more to people. And it really has shown um, a lot more in the past couple years that people are washing their hands more, which is a good thing. We really do need, that's one of the number one ways to prevent foodborne illness. So, and the proper way of washing hands, using your soap, drying your hands properly, all of that is very important in the whole process. So when you're um, preserving food, what sort of steps do you need to take to make sure the food is safe? Well, I think you first have to think about what type of food you, you and your family like to eat. I mean, mm -hmm. there's no sense in preserving food that people are not going to like <laughs> to eat. Mm -hmm. So think about what you like to eat. If you have a garden, mm -hmm. think about that. Mm -hmm. Plant in your garden the vegetables that you want to that you want to preserve. Or we have many, many farmer's markets here. So you can go to the farmer's market and get your bushel of tomatoes. You can get your uh, cucumbers, whatever you uh, want to buy in bulk. Um, mm -hmm. And then think about the taste. Do you want frozen? Do you want something that's been canned? Or do you want something that's been dried? Those are your three methods of preserving food. So many people would prefer frozen corn, frozen green beans over canned green beans and corn. It's up to the mm -hmm. family and up to the individual on what they like. Also cost is involved when you talk about preserving food. If you are canning, 
That means you have to buy jars, you have to buy lids, you have to buy rings to go on the jars, and then you have to buy the equipment, either the water bath mm -hmm. canner or a pressure canner. Both are not very cheap. They're both pretty expensive types of equipment. You also have to store them in the off season if you don't have a lot of room. If you choose to freeze, that takes up a lot of space in your freezer. If you have an extra freezer, that would be ideal. That gives you more room. Many people don't have that. They only have a small freezer in their refrigerator and that's it. If you decide to freeze, you're not gonna have much room for anything else. Mm -hmm. Drying, a lot of foods are not good after being dried. Um, you know, drying takes the moisture out of the food and that takes the potential for any type of microorganisms to grow. But many things are not very tasty after they've been dried either. So it really depends on what you want to eat and how you like it prepared. Um, mm -hmm. I think the number one vegetable that everyone cans is uh, tomatoes. You know, mm -hmm. they just, tomatoes are very versatile. You can do stewed tomatoes, you can do salsas, you can do sauces, anything like that. Um, and they're very, very inexpensive as well. So mm -hmm. that's probably a good way to start. Um, mm -hmm. Would but, you can that? Yes, you would can that. You can also okay. freeze tomatoes, not quite the same texture. Um, probably couldn't use them as verse as they could be used in the canned process, but easier, much easier to freeze than um, mm -hmm. doing the canning process and obviously cheaper because there's so many different ways of and packaging now for freezing foods that make it easier and cheaper. So, and then of course you have to find out your resources. One of our mm -hmm. biggest obstacles when we're helping consumers is don't use recipes that have just been passed down from family members. Make sure they're research-based tested recipes. No matter if your Aunt Betty had the best recipe ever for salsa, if it is not the same as a tested recipe in one of our resources from the National Center for Home Food Preservation or the Ball Blue Book, we do not recommend using it. So what happens if you use a recipe that hasn't been um, tested? Or what can happen? Well, that is a big question, that's for sure, because you cannot taste it, smell it, see it, you cannot find, you do not know if there's microorganisms, bacteria in that food that you have prepared. So mm -hmm. even a small taste of it could make you very, very sick. So that's mm -hmm. why it's so crucial to start from the beginning with the tested recipes. Um, many recipes prior to 1994 did not acidify any tomato products. And so people are still using recipes prior to 1994 that do not add any type of acidification to tomato products. That leads to a high potential of bacteria to grow in that type of food. So many people just do not want to um, change the recipe. You know, it was one that was passed down for many generations. So it's a challenge to tell them, no, we really need to add that acidification. Find your recipe in more of the new research. So I thought that um, 
if you just cooked something to the desired temperature, so to the, I guess, the correct temperature, it would kill all the bacteria. And then so long as, say, the jars and everything were also heated to that temperature, it would be okay to put them together and seal it and the food would be okay. So that's not correct? That is a very common myth. But botulism is one that cannot be killed by high heat. In fact, oh. the high heat develops spores. Those spores cannot be killed from the high heat. That's why it's so important to acidify any type of low acid foods so that type of environment does not start to grow. Oh, I had no idea. What other types of um, low acid foods um, would be included in that? You would have meats and vegetables, but then mm -hmm. we're talking about a whole different process of canning. We're using a pressure mm -hmm. canner at that point. And that is a higher temperature and that creates a whole different environment for those vegetables to be processed at a higher temperature. With tomatoes in acid and high acid like pickles, jams and jellies, they can be processed in a water bath canner as long as they have that extra acidification, either lemon juice or citric acid added to that jar uh, because the boiling water bath only gets to 212, the boiling. A pressure canner mm -hmm. gets to 240 degrees. So mm -hmm. even though depends on what you want to process, again, um, depends on the equipment you want to purchase. Um, pressure canners are a lot more expensive. So what's the difference between a water, was it water bath canning and a pressure canner? What's the difference? The, the water bath canner only gets to 212 degrees. It's like mm -hmm. an open kettle type of um, soup pot that you put your jars in, put at least um, an inch of water over the top of these jars and you boil for the right amount of time that's on the recipe. Those mm -hmm. are for any high acid foods. So we're talking fruits, okay. we're talking pickles, we're talking mm -hmm. tomatoes, we're talking jams and jellies. Those are all considered mm -hmm. high acid foods. So they don't need to have that high temperature in there. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking meats and vegetables and seafood, those are low acid foods. They need that higher temperature in a pressure canner of 240 degrees. Pressure canners are a little tricky. Obviously, if you understand how they work, they're like a pressure cooker, except they're bigger. Mm -hmm. And that pressure builds up to a certain amount, depending on your recipe, it's usually 10 pounds of pressure for a certain amount of time. And that mm -hmm. gets all of that air out of those jars and makes a safe environment for that food to sit safely on a shelf. Huh, so okay, so- those are the those Sorry, are the two ahead. types. No, that's okay. Those are the differences between a water bath canner and a pressure canner. Can, for a water bath canner, my dad always did something. He would put the jars in the oven and then he would like bake them in there. And then um, I think after that, he would fill them, put the lid on and then put them back in the oven. That's not enough. 
No, unfortunately, that is a very, very unsafe method. I'm okay. certainly glad your your dad was was not <laughs> injured. Um, those glass jars are not meant for dry heat. They're meant mm -hmm. for to be heated in a water environment or a steamed environment. So when you put them in an oven in a dry heat environment like that, they could easily, easily break and explode. So okay. I'm glad that he maybe never he didn't got put hurt. them in the oven. Maybe he didn't put them in the oven, but you couldn't do the same and just put them into a pot filled with water. Boy, but the jars are hot. The water is mm -hmm. hot. So yeah. that makes the environment safe. They do. And they're, they're made. Canning jars are made to withstand that type of, okay. of heat. Make mm -hmm. sure also, um, Many, many people use just regular manufactured jars that have come with already a product in it that they've bought from the grocery store, like a spaghetti jar, a mayonnaise jar. Mm -hmm. You, We don't recommend using those either. Those are a one-use jar. They have already gone through a processing and the manufacturers, and they cannot withstand another treatment without breaking. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. So um, it's important to use the right type of canning jars as well. Okay. Um, I have some jam at home I'll need to be throwing out, I think. Oh. <laughs> oh, maybe not throwing out, but I just won't be doing that again. Oh, okay. I made jam and then um, I just used the jars I had at home, um, which was a Harissa jar. Did you process? And so what, tell me how you did it. This was last year, so I can't remember everything, but I'm pretty sure that I boiled the jars, I think, okay. or put them in the oven. I can't remember which one. And okay. then I removed them. I didn't touch the inside and I like also heated all the utensils. And then I scooped the jam into these jars, but they're all jars okay. that I use for like peanut butter and harissa and tahini just like old jars and other jam <laughs> jars and I just scoop them in there while they're still hot you know put the lid on and what type of lid jam. did you use what type of lid did you use the lids that came with them they've got the little pop in the middle okay yeah they <laughs> popped once that's all they're good for I'm sorry um, oh no <laughs> yeah um but well, you know you're gonna yeah, and it's not a safe method, I'll tell you that. Small, um, again, you cannot use manufactured jars. You have to have the two-piece lid as well, mm -hmm. the one with the little okay. disc, and then it has the ring that keeps that disc in place. And so those mm -hmm. manufactured jars, those lids do not fit on. So that's another test to say that those jars would not work. Um, what's What has might show up, and it hasn't yet, is mold on those jars on your jelly have you noticed any mold on the jars no. okay because many times when it's not processed properly mold will grow quickly mm -hmm. but um there are also yeast that could grow that you may not be able to see but you could smell it but okay. um no you're right that was not done properly we um the okay. final the final method of doing jams as jellies is that five minutes in that water bath canner and then that mm -hmm. makes sure that that jar has no air left in it and that there will not be any mold or yeast growing in it. Many people My think final... because... 
Oh, sorry. Many people think that because jam and jelly has so much sugar in it that it won't spoil, mm -hmm. but it will mold and it will get yeast in it. So that's why it's important to do that final process of water bath canning. My second, my, an additional question to this is one of the jars didn't have enough jam for it. So it was only half full. Is there a lot of air in there and is that going to cause a lot of issues? If you had done the water bath process, it probably would not have sealed. That two-piece lid, okay. it probably would not have because there's too much air mm -hmm. in between the lid and that product to get all of that air out in five minutes. But what okay. you can do if things do not seal when you, when you first can them is you can refrigerate it and eat it. Um, mm. you just don't store it on, you just don't store it at room temperature. Yep. Okay. So. I will definitely be throwing out that jar of jam then. Probably a <laughs> Sounds good idea. a bit dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's a pity. It's really good. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. I have to make some more after today. I'll know exactly how to make them. And you will have the resources to follow the recipe. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so um, what are some other rules, um, maybe not for canning, but the other methods that you've mentioned? Um, what are some rules that we need to follow? Freezing. Freezing mm -hmm. is the easiest way of preserving food. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a, I freeze. I freeze a lot of things because we do ha we're lucky enough to have a chest freezer that I have room to store it as well. But freezing is still you have to follow the same type of procedures. And the first step is to make sure what you're freezing and what you're canning is at its peak ripeness. Mm -hmm. Preserving food when it's already past its peak and maybe overripe will not make it taste any better. So it really has to be a timely thing. So if you're out picking your vegetables or your produce, in your garden, you don't have much time to get that canned or frozen to make sure that it's top quality. Freezing, the one thing you have to follow is blanching. And blanching mm -hmm. simply means immersing that product into boiling water. And that stops that enzymatic um, growth of ripening. So once huh. you can put it into a boiling water bath, boiling water, and then you put it in ice, cool it down, then you can put it in your freezer bags or your freezer containers, and then it's ready to freeze. The problem is, of course, if you lose power, um, many of these things do not last if they're not frozen. You could probably eat it real quick if you want to, if you have a lot of, if, um, <laughs> if you have an opportunity to, to hurry up and cook it. Um, but Depends how many much you've things, got frozen. That's true. That is true, but mm -hmm. hopefully it will still stay frozen. If there's some ice crystals left on it, it's still good to refreeze. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So about a couple months ago, our fridge actually died. Um, oh. And so we didn't have a fridge for about a week. So Ooh. had a very frantic call with my dad. Dad, can you take all of my uh, frozen food? Um, I just put it in your freezer. And so we, 10 o'clock at night, I had to drive all of our food over to my dad's house. Um, but then we had all the stuff that I couldn't fit in his fridge and we had to 
throw it away. So like, do you have any suggestions for like what you should do in that situation other than cooking it up? No, I'm sure glad you had your dad's refrigerator, though, to back you up. Many people do not have that. Um, I did feel very many, lucky, actually. <laughs> you were lucky. Um, it just depends on how long the power is out. Um, mm -hmm. Refrigerated foods have to be at 40 degrees. And the first thing everyone should have in their refrigerator and freezer is an additional thermometer. That way you can tell if the temperature has changed at all in that refrigerator or freezer. Refrigerator should be at 40 degrees or below. Your freezer mm -hmm. at zero degrees or below. And mm -hmm. ours did a similar thing a couple weeks ago where I noticed our milk was not very cold. And I could tell by my thermometer in there that it was 50 degrees. So there was something wrong. It had, obviously we had to call someone and they had to replace it. But um, that was really the only way I could tell from you know knowing for sure if it was not working properly. Um, sometimes mm -hmm. people do not realize it until it's way too late and you can't save anything. But mm -hmm. um, obviously the most dangerous and the most perishable would be your meats, your lunch meats, your milk, your eggs, um, any type of dairy products, yogurt, those things, if they stay above 40 degrees for more than a couple hours, will not keep. Mm -hmm. And for frozen food, um, you said that if anything's got ice crystals on it, it should be mm -hmm. okay to refreeze. So like, you know, you've taken a piece of chick or, you know, the, fr the power goes out for, I don't know, overnight, you've kept the freezer closed all night, you open the freezer and it's definitely not as cold as it was, but everything still seems to be frozen. Is it okay if the power then comes back on? If things or still seem you... to be frozen? Mm -hmm. Right. If they still seem frozen, mm -hmm. um, then yes, it's probably okay. And the key is to keep that door closed as well. Yeah. And also mm -hmm. to check the thermometer. If you can mm -hmm. see that it is above zero degrees, then what you can do is cook up that food, cook up the mm -hmm. chicken, chicken and meat. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the poultry um, really need to be cooked and kept safe. Um, many of the pre-prepared foods that say keep frozen until ready to eat, those mm -hmm. are the type of foods that do not last. Um, if it goes above zero degrees for any amount of time, using frozen pizzas, frozen meals of any type um, do not last and should not be eaten if that temperature has gone above zero degrees for any length of time. So huh, what you can do is... Sorry, go ahead. Oh. You will all oh, that the pre-prepared food would be safe to eat because there's probably a lot of preservatives and additives exactly. in it. Mm -hmm. But no, if you read the directions on the box, it says, you know, do not thaw. And it's been thawed in that freezer. You cannot refreeze it. Mm -hmm. Many of the fruits and vegetables are safe if they have ice crystals on it. But again, you're talking mm -hmm. fish and poultry, very highly perishable, but you could cook it. If you think it mm -hmm. has stayed at 40 degrees at refrigerated temperatures, you can cook it and then refreeze it when the, okay. when the thermometer, when the power comes back on or else have a big party and have everyone over. <laughs> Just tell them not to leave any food behind. Don't bring That's anything. Right. Everyone come or everyone bring their food from their refrigerator mm -hmm. so you can cook it up. But it, it yep. never fails. It seems like it's the 
after you've gone to the grocery store and filled your refrigerator when that power may go out. So Yes. Or yeah. 10 o'clock at night, which is what happened to me. Yes. Or um, our last um, fiasco was we left the door ajar to our freezer. It didn't close mm -hmm. all the way. So everything in the front of the freezer thawed. Everything behind in the back stayed pretty cold. So we mm -hmm. didn't lose that much that time. But, um, you know, make sure your seal is good on your refrigerator. Make sure you have a thermometer in your refrigerator because you cannot tell what temperature it is. That's the best way to tell. I read something about how you should keep a block of ice in a cup and put a coin on top of it. Mm -hmm. And if you notice that like the coin has moved into the ice, then it means that the freezer has not been cold. <clears throat> but is that something that you would recommend doing? Many people do that when they leave for a period of time and they're not mm -hmm. sure, you know, when they're gone, if that has happened. The problem is you don't know how long that power has been out. And if all mm -hmm. that food thawed and then refroze, doesn't mean it's safe. It is one way to find out, but it's not a very efficient way to know if the food is safe. Mm -hmm. Because like I said, it, if it thawed, the penny dropped, and then the power mm -hmm. came back on and everything refroze, that doesn't mean that food is safe. I guess in that case, you just throw everything <laughs> out and you start again, yep. unfortunately. That's the best way. Mm. So you said the uh, final way was drying. So how do you do that? Yes. Well... We used to do a lot of oven drying, and you still mm -hmm. can. If your oven goes low enough to about 225, um, you can still dry in the oven, except you got to keep the door open. It takes a lot of electricity, a lot of gas to do that. <clears throat> right now, we're recommending using food dehydrators. There's so many mm -hmm. different kinds on the market. They're very reasonably priced, and they work very nicely. Again, following recipes on what things are the best to dry, how long to dry them, is where the recipes come in handy because you can obviously ruin food by drying it for too long. But the food dehydrators work very nicely. And just depending on the style and type that you like, you can ask friends and family which ones they prefer because there's so many different ones. So. Pick the kind that you like that works the best for you. And <clears throat> it's a very nice, easy way to do things. It's not very fast, remember. You know, it takes several days for things to dry. But then it's simply just stored in jars mm -hmm. and, you know, airtight containers. I see sometimes people drying things on their balcony when it's, like, very sunny. Um, I'm guessing that's not safe. <clears throat> that is not a safe method, no, because of so much in the environment that could contaminate that food. You know, you're talking mm -hmm. dirt, dust, birds, animals, things like that. So it's really not recommended. Um, herbs are okay. A lot of people dry herbs in their basements or outside in their um, different types of facilities, and that's fine. Herbs work fine. Okay. But herbs can also be dried in a microwave very easily. Really? Um, yeah, with layers of paper towel, you put your layers of basil or oregano, um, any type of herb, and depending on your microwave, 
how long it takes to dry, but it's a, an efficient way to do it. But no, we don't suggest drying any other types of food outside in the environment. Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, I always, I always did wonder. It didn't seem very safe just to have it. Someone I, I saw it once, it was just in the driveway and other cars were driving past it. <laughs> And yeah. I would just be like, isn't it going to taste like petrol or gas? Yeah. That they yeah. Should... It would, dirt. It's going to taste like yeah. something. It's going to have some grit on or grime on it. Yes. So mm. it's not the best way to do it. No. And it takes mm -hmm. a long time. You know, the weather's so variable. How do you know if it's going to stay at the right temperature for any length of time so it will dry? Mm -hmm. um, so, no, it is not a safe way. Mm-hmm. Um... So another thing is, um, is, so there are different types of preserving, but do they lose any nutrition when you, you preserve them? Again, following research tested recipes, no. Um, okay. Over, over processing, you know, if a, if a recipe says for example, green beans in a pressure canner for 40 minutes, you go, oh, I think I want to do it for 50 minutes and make sure they're safe. There won't be much nutrition left in those string beans. As long as you follow the tested recipes, that nutrition mm -hmm. will be just the same as what you would buy in the grocery store or whatever. Um, the advantages of preserving food at home is controlling that salt and sugar. Mm -hmm. Many, many of our consumers are diabetic. Many of them have high blood pressure and do not want to eat the processed foods that are available in the stores. There's so much food here with salt added for flavoring. So your home preserved foods, the only thing that salt is absolutely necessary to preserve is pickles. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you don't have to add salt to anything. It is only a flavoring. Um, so it's a nice way of making sure that you can control that salt in your diet by preserving foods at home, such as vegetables um, and, and meats as well. So it's, it's, uh, I cannot say that the nutrients are any different. Um, again, making sure that what you buy at a farmer's market or at a grocery store or from your own garden, when you preserve it, is at its peak quality and peak ripeness. If you mm -hmm. things are not ripe and you're trying to preserve tomatoes that might not be ripe yet, you're not going to get the quality or the nutrition either that you want. So the whole key is making sure that what you are going through this long process of preserving, making sure that that quality is there. Are there any additional health benefits um, for example, I went to a kimchi museum and they said that, um, kimchi is like really healthy. Um, are there any like extra benefits to preserve food? Well, kimchi is not one that we can preserve. There is no recipe to, to preserve mm -hmm. kimchi. That is just a, um, you know, you, you make it and you, you eat it at the same time or refrigerate it. Um, mm -hmm. there are, um, Certain things like sauerkraut, things like that, that have mm -hmm. added benefits. Um, but many of the trendy foods, be careful. If there's no recipe to preserve them, that means they should not be preserved. 
They can be eaten fresh, made and eaten fresh and refrigerated, but not preserved to be shelf stable. What about for like leafy greens? What should we do for those? Mm -hmm. I feel like those would be hard to preserve without losing, I guess, some of the integrity of them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's exactly it, honey. You are right. They will not preserve well. They don't dry well. They don't can well. And they don't freeze well, unfortunately. No. Okay. Um, It's just there's too much of a high water content in them um, that they're just the quality is not there. They're just disintegrate. Um, so that's unfortunate. Um, but you know, there's many things you can preserve like onions and celery, green peppers, you know, any type of peppers, um, those all freeze very well. They don't can good, but they do freeze well and can be used in soups and sauces and things like that. Um, but no, you're right. Leafy greens are not a, not a good way. They're not a good choice when it comes to preserving. Just eat them straight away. Yes. And keep them stored, you know, in your um, produce drawer, if you have that, um, you know, in, they'll keep, as long as you don't wash them until you're ready to eat them. That keeps them longer also. I would have thought washing them would make make it better. No, because it it adds that extra water to it. It makes them, makes them more um, prone to spoilage. Same way with berries, strawberries, blueberries, things like um, any of the type of berries. We To keep them longer in your refrigerator from molding, don't wash them. Just wash them when you're ready to eat them. I, I have been doing that wrong then because I always get the whole packet out. I wash them all. So I'm like, I can just eat them whenever I want now. That's true. Do they last but as no, long? No, I should just wash the ones I'm going to eat. Okay. Yep. They will last longer. I actually haven't timed it. In the refrigerator. Maybe I'll have to buy two punnets of strawberries. Yeah. Well, you probably eat them fast enough that they're not going to. And then you keep the other one. Do you make it a habit to preserve food at home yourself? I do jams and jellies. That's what I like to do because it's fun. Mm -hmm. We go picking. We always pick our strawberries with friends and family. Come home and then between my husband and I, we... We have a process that we follow and um, he cleans them and I mash them and, you know, um, we have a water bath canner and we just, that's our thing. Um, He loves jelly and that it is, it does taste good. It's certainly, you know, not cheap to make. Our sugar here is very expensive, but it's the taste that counts and it's fun to do. Um, so we look forward to the strawberry season, blueberries too. So um, we do both jams and jellies, but mm-hmm. otherwise I freeze. Yeah, I freeze our green beans. I freeze um, I freeze our tomatoes. If I have a lot of tomatoes, I just throw them in a plastic container in the freezer and use them for chilies and soups and sauces. Um, but other than that, I'm a, yeah, I'm mostly a freezer. When it comes to that, I don't mm-hmm. do a lot of canning. I will tell you, my husband wants me to start canning venison, though. This is the first day of deer hunting here in Michigan. So he's already gotten one deer, and he really wants me to start canning venison. So that means um, I will have to find, I will probably have to go buy a pressure canner and um, mm-hmm. try to do venison. So I have my cookbook out, ready to go on how to do it, how long to do it. I haven't really thought about canning meat. 
um, other than buying it in the supermarket? Do you have to cook it first or is it raw? Depends on the recipe. You can do it raw. You can put chunks of, of meat raw into a jar and it makes its own broth. So you usually don't add water or anything. The processing wow. is definitely using that pressure canner. You can do chicken, mm -hmm. you know, obviously you don't do bones. You don't have the bones in there, but you can do uh, ground meat as well. Uh, as long as you follow your research recipe, because it has to be processed for a certain amount of time. But again, no, you don't need to add salt. You don't um, to add to it at all. So it is a easy way because it's almost cooked. That product, mm -hmm. once it goes into that pressure canner, it's semi-cooked. So then whatever you use it for when you open that jar, you don't have to cook it much longer. So it is easy, very easy to have that. Mm. How do you find that, um, you know, how do you find that it impacts your home life? Does it make things easier? It makes it. I, I think a lot of preserving food at home is the pride and and the just being, you know, saying I can this, I did this myself, I know what's in it, you know, it doesn't have a whole list of ingredients. Um, people do it just for the for being proud that they're able to do it. Um, many people do it because that's how they were raised. You know, I helped my mom make jams and jellies. So that was kind of my memory of, of working with her and, and I'm still doing it. I do it a little differently than she did. Obviously, I had to change my methods and update them. But um, still, it was something I remember tasting that, that freshly made jam and jelly and you can't beat it. Um, but yeah, I think people are very proud of what they do um, and they should be. It's not easy. You know, it takes a lot of um, effort a lot of time. Um, like I said, it's, it, it doesn't save a lot of money either, but it's just the idea of controlling that ingredients that are in your food. Mm. Do you think everyone should do this? No, it's not for everybody. I mean, you have to have space in your kitchen. Um, you know, you have to have time to do it. Um, when I was teaching, there was a lot of young moms that did it for their families, which was great, but they'd be up all night because you cannot be interrupted. So they'd have to do it when the kids were mm -hmm. sleeping and that worked for them. They were very proud of what they did, but it's a lot of work, you know, to be up all night because you cannot leave these pressure canners and water bath canners. You have to be in the kitchen the whole time. Preparation is messy and time consuming. Um, if you're doing it all yourself, that's even more work. Um, so it's, it's not for everybody. I think it's come back uh, in popularity for sure. Um, in the last five and 10 years within our Michigan State University Extension, at least, um, consumers wanna know. They wanna know what to do, how to do it, why we've changed the methods we have. Um, they're very interested. Our biggest challenge is the internet. People are just going and finding recipes on the internet that are not research-based. And that's the dangerous mm -hmm. part of preserving food because then you don't know if what you preserved is safe or not. Just as we talked about earlier, you cannot see it, smell it, taste it. If there's botulism in that canned foods, it could be very deadly to somebody. 
It could especially to young children, to seniors. Um, there's been more outbreaks of um, foodborne illness from home preserved foods in the last 10 years as well, um, because people are not finding, they're not making sure the recipe they're using is tested or they're making it up themselves. So, Many. Sorry, go ahead. No, that's okay. Um, no, there many people make up their own recipes. So where's the best place to find the recipes to make sure they're tested? The National Center for Home Food Preservation is actually out of the University of Georgia Extension. And then uh, we have the USD, USDA Complete Guide to Home Canning. And then any of our extension services across the United States that have um, the EDU on their tagline, like ours is msu.edu, any of those services have research-based tested recipes that you can use, print off, um, very easily um, found. You just have to you know, search what you're looking for and then make sure that the site that you choose is a, um, a reliable source. Yeah, and we'll put a few that you recommended in our show notes for listeners so they can find them. Um, I'll be definitely going through and picking a few for myself to, for, so I can try them. Good, I'm glad. So and then we, I also would like to share that hotline number with you as well. Mm-hmm, sure. Yes. Do you want to Back say it now? Uh, in 2000, well, back in 2017, I was given the charge of helping consumers with a hotline. And it has developed into a worldwide international resource um, that has really helped uh, hundreds of people with questions. So I, I know that you'll supply that um, during this podcast as well. It's a toll-free number. You actually get one of our food safety educators here from Michigan State University Extension answering those questions. And they're all very knowledgeable. Um, many people are asking questions just as you have today about why do you have to use certain jars or why do you have to use a two-piece lid? Why can't I use a jar from the grocery store? Any of those types of questions we're very happy to answer and to help people understand the importance of following the research-based recipes. So it is a great resource to use. And um, I know the USDA also refers people to it. So uh, we've been very um, fortunate and I think it's a great resource that we've developed. And you very few places now you get a real person that you can talk to. So it makes it very enjoyable mm. as well. Yeah, and we'll um, include that number in our show notes as well if anyone um, needs any help. So we'll move on to the questions from the audience. We've got quite a few here. I guess people really want to know okay. what to do. Um, so the first question is, how did uh, cultures preserve food, particularly meat, before modern refrigeration? What a good question. We get that a lot too because what did people do? Well, they usually smoked it. Um, which was a way of preserving back in the past. But things have changed because of our environment has changed. So many more bacteria, microorganisms um, are out in our environment that can cause these foods to become unsafe. That is why these methods have come into being is because we have realized that 
there is so many more um, ways of food to be unsafe than there was in the past. So just because they were able to do it years ago does not make it safe now. Mm-hmm. And I guess uh, modern facilities they that do these types of preservation, they know what they're doing, they control the environment, whereas at home it's harder. Exactly. Yes. So question number two, um, we sort of answered this, I think, but do I have to blanch my vegetables before I freeze them? Yes, you do. Make sure you follow that recipe and how long to blanch. The only things you don't have to blanch though before freezing are tomatoes, celery, onions, and peppers. If you're going to freeze any of those, you wash them, cut them up, and put them in some type of freezer container so it's airtight and you're fine. But um, anything else, corn, green beans, um, anything like that, you follow your research recipe it tells you how long to blanch. Even potatoes have to have blanching. And um, yes, if you don't, and I'll tell you my story, if you do not, they turn brown. <laughs> I was teaching uh-huh. um, and my, hus- my husband decided that we had all these potatoes and he wanted to freeze them and he did not blanch them. He simply cut them up, put them in containers. And by the next day, they were all brown and mushy. So blanching stops that enzymatic, that ripening process, so they stay nice and bright and white and fresh. Good to know. Do they have to be perfectly dry um, (laughs) after you've blanched them? Or can they have a bit of water on them? No, what you do is you blanch them in the... (laughs) Yes, they can have water on them. You don't want too much because then that will make them clump together. And so, yeah, Mm -hmm. you want to make sure that... um, they don't have a lot of water because that will also compromise the quality as well. Mm. Um, so question number three, does preserving raw food differ from preserving cooked food? Is the process different? I wouldn't, I'm not quite sure what they mean about preserving cooked food. I, I mean, guess... you can freeze your leftovers. Is that what they're mm-hmm. talking about? I'm guessing that's what they mean. Okay. Um, Preserving food that's fresh or raw keeps it shelf Mm -hmm. stable. Um, Preserving or freezing or, or I guess freezing your leftover food keeps that safe as well, but there's no other way to keep that safe. You can't can that or anything. You'd have to freeze it. Mm -hmm. Um, So there is a difference between the two because you know leftovers frozen only last about four to six months in the freezer for quality um many frozen foods from the raw state can last up to 12 months as long as the power stays on so yeah yeah hmm yeah Um, i don't know if they want to clarify a little more about cooked food or not i don't know uh, we don't have the audience um, here, so um, okay, we'll just leave it. I think maybe they okay. do mean leftovers, so I think you've answered it sufficiently. Okay, good. So our next question is, um, does the size of the container used to keep food impact um, the preservation? It can. Um, if too much airspace, if you use you know too big of a container, sure, there's too much air 
in there that um, when you freeze it, that can form ice crystals and that can certainly um, cause that product not to be as good. You certainly don't want to have too small of a container where possibly that lid or that container could pop open <clears throat> as it was freezing, you know, how it expands. Mm. And that can certainly happen. The lid can come off, it can come unsealed, and then you're going to have air get to that product and then the quality is certainly not as good. Mm. Um, someone's got a question about food preservatives. Do you know anything about like preservatives or is that different? That's different. That's, um, we don't, we don't have any preservatives in home canned food. Um, so okay. that is the advantage of them for sure. Many mm. people have allergies to preservatives, things like that. So no, that is not something that's part of preserving food. But it is an advantage to, pre to food preservation is not having them. So that's Very good. much. Very much. Mm. Um, so if vegetables are chopped and refrigerated, um, will its nutrition value be completely lost? No, no, not at all. Um, of course, over a period of time, you don't want to keep them too long in the refrigerator. They will start to, to lose their nutrients. But no, it's perfectly fine. They won't, they might not keep as long if they're washed in there. Mm -hmm. um, again, because of the water content that gets on them, they get soggy, um, they could mold. But no, the nutrients would, you just want to eat things when they're fresh, that's for sure. Um, are there any, is there anything else that we've missed that you wanted to talk about? I'm trying to think, I just, um, I know we've repeated an awful lot about using research-based tested recipes, but it's so important mm -hmm. to use exact amounts, not changing the amounts, not adding other ingredients to things because of the flavor. We do recommend if you have certain recipes that you like, especially in salsas, that you follow the tested recipes, then add other ingredients to it once that's been opened and, and you're going to serve it then you can add more of your vegetables or whatever that you may want in that recipe. Um, but many things, searching for recipes to can certain fruits like melons, there are no ways to preserve melon. There is no way to preserve leafy greens. So if you're searching for a recipe and you can't find one, there's a reason. It's because it shouldn't be done. So that really helps to understand that the quality will not be there. And some people just want to try it and you're going to find out that you cannot freeze leafy greens and you cannot can melons. It would be nothing but mush. So, but I do think that people are afraid of pressure canners. We don't want them to be afraid of pressure canners. If you want to can meat and vegetables, you have to use a pressure canner or you have to freeze. So make sure that you find a pressure canner you're comfortable with, that you um, know, understand how to use it before you get everything hot and ready to put in there. Um, it's just important that you are comfortable using that pressure canner. How do you, do you recommend like doing a practice with the pressure canner beforehand? I would definitely. Um, if you're not familiar with pressure canners, there's a certain way to lock them and there's certain mm -hmm. ways of making them bring up to temperature. So yes, it's very important, I would think, to test them out first, to practice with them. Um, 
as you know, when you are canning, the jars are hot, the water's hot, your produce is hot, you know, everything is hot in your kitchen. So you don't want to start experimenting with things um, that are at that temperature. We've had a lot of people call and say, um, you know, I I left my canner. I, I went and you know, left the room for a period of time, came back, and the water was all coming out of the canner. Well, it wasn't sealed properly. That's why the canner wasn't mm -hmm. sealed properly. We can't tell you if the food in there is safe because it wasn't processed at the right pressure. So there's a lot of variables mm -hmm. that have to go into it. Um, if, and I guess the safest way is if you think that there has been something in that process that did not turn out right, or you missed something in the recipe, I would not eat it. Unfortunately, I would not eat it. Mm. It's, I guess it's safer to have food wastage than to, you know, harm yourself or your family. <sighs> Foodborne illness is deadly. It really is. We've mm. gone to so much. There's so many stories out there and you know, so many organizations that are helping people with the side effects of foodborne illness or deaths from it that could have been prevented. Um, or your organs shut down, um, the side effects are lifelong. It's very, very serious. And I guess that's why I have the passion for it is to prevent that from happening. Um, I seem to be the food safety police in my family and friends. You know, if they have a question, they call, you know, hey, mm -hmm. you know, I bought this deli meat, is it still good? You know, and I, I enjoy those questions. I, I loved working the hotline because that's, I, people questioned why, and that's the important thing. Um, and they were very appreciative. It is hard to tell somebody you have to throw it away after they have 20 jars of green beans and they only used a water bath canner. It's really mm -hmm. hard to tell them they have to throw them away, but you have to, it's not worth the chance. So um, you suggested food safety as your open mic. So the open mic is when you get to talk about something that you're passionate about. Um, and we've already talked a little bit about food safety, but um, was there anything else that you wanted to say about food safety? Um, there's just so many choices. We're so lucky in our world to have so many choices of food and they're so expensive at least they are here in the United States. And so to keep them safe, to prepare them safely um, is such an important part of keeping your, your home management skills up, making sure that you're cooking right, that you are preparing food properly, that you're storing food properly. Um, it all affects your family, it affects you. Um, like I had stated earlier, children and seniors are definitely more prone to any type of foodborne illness. And we all are all have that in our families. So to make sure that we are preparing food safely is vital to the health of our families. And I know we have Thanksgiving coming up here in the United States, and that's one of our biggest holidays where people sit around all day and eat food from the turkey that's been sitting out for six hours. We can't do that. We have to we have to get that food in the refrigerator. We cannot leave it out for any period of time. So trying to help people understand that. Using food thermometers. Not many people even use food thermometers. They have one in the drawer of their kitchen, but they don't use it. You know, what do you what do you cook a, a turkey to? 165 degrees. 
We don't recommend stuffing turkey, but if you do, then you have to tempt the turkey and the stuffing both at 165. So it's really important that those leftovers are handled carefully and not set out at room temperature for any period of time. And that goes for any type of meal you're preparing. But it's kind of funny because most of our calls come around Thanksgiving. So you wonder what they do the rest of the day. <laughs> so make sure that your leftovers are refrigerated safely. If you're not going to eat them right away within a day or two, freeze them. And they'll last up to you know four months in the, in the freezer. So at least you'll have them later to eat and they'll be safe. But yes, I do enjoy teaching and helping people understand why it's important to keep your food safe because it's expensive. It's expensive to throw things away. Try to buy, you know, in smaller quantities if you don't think you're going to be able to eat all of that food before, you know, the, the time period. So there's a lot of ways that you can preserve your food by just preserving it and just freezing it for later use. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that that has been something that I have worked on for a lot of time and helped people to understand what type of food during emergencies that can store safely as well, um, mm -hmm. because everyone should have some type of backup when it comes to um, having food for a period of time if there should be such a disaster happen in your area. So, you know, any type of non-perishables, canned products, Anything like that works very well to be kept as an emergency preparedness meal. And in that situation, do you have to renew the food every once in a while, like maybe once a year? Probably a very good idea every six months is to rotate, bring that food mm -hmm. up, eat it, and then put fresh downstairs. You are right. And put fresh back mm -hmm. into your emergency preparedness kit. Very good idea. Um, there's a lot of food out there that can be stored safely for a long period of time. And so you just recommend anything that's like canned and or dried, that type of food? Yep. Anything yeah, that does not need any type of preparation um, mm -hmm. makes it much easier. Even, you know, crackers, um, make sure it's things that your family enjoy eating as well. But there's certainly a lot of products out there that can store for six months at a time and still be good. And then you just rotate them out and get fresh. Now, you never know mm. when an emergency is going to happen. So make sure you have a can opener because if you have a lot of canned goods, you got to have a can opener. Um, and make sure you you know have ways to keep your hands clean and things like that. That's important as well. I can definitely imagine myself being in a situation where you know, I'm trapped. I can't, you know, access food. All I have is a can and I don't have a can opener. So, you know, just staring at the can, starving to death, probably not. Yeah. Well, but not yeah. all of them have that pop-off lid. Yes. So it is important. Mm -hmm. It's one of those small things that you might forget having. And water, how important it is to store water. Mm -hmm. You have to have water and um, that can also be um, rotated for fresh so um, important to have water as well in your emergency preparedness kit. So, um, but emergencies happen, like your refrigerator goes out. That was probably, if you had not had your dad's refrigerator, it would have been very costly. So he did not lose power then. What oh, happened was your the, refrigerator uh, went out. It was the fridge that broke. So it was okay. Oh. But we did end up throwing out other food so things like yogurt and um yeah 
milk, those kinds of things, because we just could, they didn't fit in his fridge. So um, yep. we just threw those out and it ended up still being expensive. Really does. Yes. And it's hard to live without a refrigerator. Very hard. Yes. So Yeah. We're having to go and get milk like every day because um, we had a little bar fridge. Um, very lucky. <laughs> but it, whenever the milk ran out, we'd have to go out immediately because we couldn't store any extra. <laughs> and you could That's only buy like... Yeah, it's just it's just a lot of extra work. Um, so yeah, just I guess have a spare p parent with a fridge. I guess. Yes, I know. Have That's some type suggestion. of backup is nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you were lucky. Yes, but um, yes, but you know, um, yeah, it is important, and that is um, mm. and again, the the tip is to keep that with that thermometer in your refrigerator, that extra thermometer. Many of them, many of the new refrigerators come with a thermometer in them built in, but having that extra thermometer in there will give you another idea of what the temperature is. If it starts to get above 40 degrees or above zero degrees, then you know there's something wrong. Mm. So if people want to find out more about you, where should they go? Um, actually, what they could do is just go to Michigan State University Extension and mm -hmm. if they have a certain topic, because I've written a lot of fact sheets. So my name comes up under all kinds of fact sheets on preserving and emergency preparedness during fires, tornadoes, floods, any of that. Um, and of course the hotline helps very much too, but mm. um, I guess that's the best way to get the information. Um, MSU has a great resources and um, I was lucky enough to author a lot of them. Mm. Well, thank you for uh, all the information. I will be going home and throwing out some food, but I will also be making some more food soon. That's good. So thank I'm you glad. for your advice. I'm... Well, and it is advice. It doesn't mean people are going to follow it. You know, behavior change is hard. Um, we try to give the reasons why. And I think that's mm -hmm. all we can do. But, you know, I mean, it is, there are some very serious consequences to food that has not been preserved safely. So yeah, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. All right, see ya. Bye. You've been listening to On The House, produced by the Household Management Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes like this from across 10 life management perspectives can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube, and any other podcasting apps available on your smart devices. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating, sharing, and subscribing to our channel as it helps other people to find it so we can grow and continue to bring you quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website, hm.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Gabriella Yastra. Thanks for tuning in.